0: I'm so glad that you're here with us. My name is Matt. I get to serve as a senior pastor here. And Matt, I'm excited for what we got this morning. We're in our Aspire series. We're talking about directing our hope, where we think we're in charge of that, where we can look at the scriptures and say that our hope should, our hope should be somewhere and in something. And I think if we get our hopes right, it changes what we plan for in life. I think it changes what we sacrifice for I think it all kind of falls together thinking about this and uh, uh, my mind drifted back to a couple years ago when I was out west on a hunting trip and just enjoying the the state of Montana and some of the most beautiful scenery that our country has to offer really the world has to offer and I remember uh, being out there and recalling to mind uh, a statement made by a Christian comedian slash marriage counselor which that's always a good like conglomeration of your your job title um, and he had this statement one time where he goes, uh, as guys, we're adventurers. We like to go on adventures. We like to conquer things. We like to go on these, these, uh, these missions. And, and he said, you know, guys, I get it. We like to do that. And he said, but but here's my challenge to you young men out there. He said, don't leave the girl at home all the time. Take her with you. Like, let her be part of the adventure with you. So I remember being out in Montana and thinking, next time, I'm gonna bring my wife, right? Uh, not, not so she gets eaten by the bear before me, uh, but so that she can see this, she can experience it, and she can be part of it. Because I want her to see this beauty. I want her to see these mountains. And so this past year for our anniversary, I was like, we're going to lose the kids for a week. And we're going to head out west. And I'm going to show my wife some of the things that I think are just incredibly beautiful. And so we went out there. And, and I loved like, the plane ride there where we fly flying in. You get a glimpse of that overview of some of the mountains. And, and she's like, wow, these are incredible. And I'm like, J- just Wait. And then we land, and we're standing in the airport parking lot, and you see some of the smaller mountains, and I'm like, just wait. And Then we start driving down and, and the road, and you see some of them. They get a little bigger, and she's a little more excited. And I'm like, just wait. It's going to get even better. And then we get to Glacier National Park, and just all of its beauty and grandeur, and we step outside of the, the car, and we, we stand there, and we're just like, wow. This is amazing. Everything up was just, Everything up to that point was just building up to it. And I share that with you because I think as we look at Revelation 5, there's a sense in which that should be true of us as a follower of God who's looking to say, this is this, what we do right now to praise God is awesome. But it's just sort of that mini mountain reflecting, anticipating an even greater mountain. That this as a church service, as we praise God and we learn about God and we, we focus on Him, this is just a shadow of what awaits for us as we talked about in Revelation 5 as it becomes sort of the ultimate church service in life. We look forward and we dream towards that. Now, the reality is, while that should be the case, that that what we see in the future is ultimate church service, and then what we see right now doesn't quite match up with it. There's a sense where you could be discontent. Because if we reverse that, if we reverse that, if we leave Glacier, and then we leave Montana, we leave the airport, and we fly back to Pennsylvania, and we look north, we could expect the mountains here to be the mountains there, and they're never going to be. And I find so much discontentedness exists in an attitude towards the church because the church isn't what it should be. That doesn't surprise anybody if you read the Bible. Like, they're talking about the church is falling apart, like these people are doing this stupid thing, these people are gossiping about this. And, and, and so while it's the shadow of the greater thing, it's never meant to be the source of your full satisfaction. I share this because the other day I was... Uh, I shared some song lyrics of somebody I knew who's just an extremely gifted musician and talented, and he wrote a, shir- uh, a song about how how he was discontent, how he hated the church, how he, how he left the church and didn't want anything to do with the church. And I read that, and I'm thinking, I get it because I've been there. I've been upset with the church, but what God put in me in my heart was not a desire to desert the church or to 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 des- to destroy the church, but rather to say, God has put that seed of discontentment in me to be a catalyst to change, to say, then why not make the church what it should be? Why not lead it to authentic change? The Susquehanna Valley Church, we've got a value statement. One of our value statements is we're going to be a source of grace, not drama, where we want people to know us for the good that happens within us, not because of the bad. We want people to be excited about the life-saving love of Jesus Christ. And that's going to be the center of our mission. And so uh, as I look at that and as I think about that, I really reflect on my own life personally, where I grew up in a a church that was really like on the surface was good, but there was a lot of political stuff, a lot of power grabbing stuff. And I literally went to Bible college. And this was a line exactly out of my mouth. I'm not even making this up. I said, you know, I'm here at Bible college. I love Jesus, but I don't want to work in the church. Like, I just don't want to be a pastor one day because I know what that's about. I'd rather work in a church camp. I'd rather do some sort of ministry, but I don't want to work in a church. And God was like, that's funny. Because I'm going to use that. I'm going to use that attitude to help guide a church to be about a, what, what a church should be about. Not all the stuff that most churches get hung up on, but on the mission to love God and love people. We're going to go. We're going to make a difference. We're going to have an impact in this world, and we're going to worship Jesus Christ. It's all going to be about him that's what revelation 5 is and if we're going to live in the shadow of the ultimate church service then i think we should be a revelation 5 church he should be the point of it check it out revelation 5 It says coronation ceremony they're crowning jesus as king and they're praising him and look at this look at where all the focus of all of history is then I looked and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders in a loud voice they were saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Let's pray. Our God and Father, I pray that this text becomes a reality for our church. I know it won't be perfect, but God, I think if we keep you and we keep your son Jesus at the center of it all, I think things start to fall into place and we get to see you do some pretty awesome things. God, I want to be part of it. I want us all to be part of it. Uh, God, just give us wisdom and the strength to be able to get there. In your son's name we pray. Amen. So if you remember the scene in Revelation 5, they're searching for someone to do something that can't be done. They're searching for someone to reign over history, to take the scroll, to inherit really all of history and to rule it. Jesus comes forward, and they just break out in celebration. They break out in praise of him as he's brought to the very center of all of humanity, all of creation, all of heaven. And he's put there, and he's praised. And the scene has got to be incredible. Because what they're doing linguistically is just emphasizing this to be, this, this is the pinnacle of anything the church has ever experienced before. Thousands upon thousands, 10,000 times 10,000 angels. I did math, which is a scary subject. And I googled it to make sure I was right. And actually, the funny thing is, when I gave the answers in first service, I got it wrong anyway. 100 million angels. Can you just imagine the weight of that scene? The sound of that praise nothing that has ever happened before bears any real significance in that moment right there it's all about him all the things that we worried about all the things that we feared all our insecurities they mean absolutely nothing in that very moment the context of the throne room of god just just places jesus christ at the center of it all we talked last week at Ayn Rand, the secular philosopher, who she says that admiration is the highest of human pleasures. I agree with that concept. I think we were created to admire, and I think our highest admiration is God himself. And I think life never really is what it's supposed to be until we figure that out. I think the admiration is the highest of human pleasures, and the highest of admiration is when we give it to Jesus Christ. We look at him, we put him at the center of all that we Do you see? I think what we admire is what we worship in life. I think we chase after it. We run after it. And I think when we worship something, we're giving it attention. We're giving it credit. We're giving it what the Bible calls glory. So there's this connection between when you admire something, you're tempted to worship it. And if you worship it, you're giving it glory. I think, I think that's part of how you were designed. You'd look in your own life. But is it true that when you really admire something, you make it the point of your life? Don't you begin to even, in a sense, worship it and give it glory? I think you were designed to do that. I just think we keep getting distracted and we exchange worshiping and admiring God for lesser things. I think you're created for more. Uh, th- this past year, CES 2020, which is this, this technology expo to bring out, bring out new things that they've invented, new robots, new new, uh, j- just new computer, all that kind of stuff that I don't really understand and I pay somebody else to understand. Um, that kind of stuff is coming out and I was intrigued by this because I thought what are the most recent inventions? What are the most recent things that they've come out with? And so just, just some of them off the top of my head. Um, they invented a robot to follow you around. It's just like a little dog, only it's a robot. And if you make a spill, it cleans up after you. I'm like, okay, I get, I get it. If you don't like dogs, maybe that's the, maybe that's your answer. They have AI robots that mimic human facial expressions to be like a banker or to be like a direction giver. And I'm thinking, no, I don't want that. Like it, that w- it would better wear a sign that says I'm a robot because I don't want to be tricked into thinking it wasn't. Because the creepiest part of shopping at a giant around here is that really weird robot that sneaks up on you. And you're like, somebody just said his name. I think it's even worse that he has a name. That's weird. (laughs) Like, I'm buying broccoli, and I'm like, what is, oh, my goodness. (laughs) I'm going to Costco right now, (laughs) leaving the shopping cart, and I'm going right there. I don't want that. All right, but but then there's one robot that kind of stole the show. Here here it is. Uh, This is called the robot, kind of cute little guy. Um, you know what? You know what he does? You know what? Somebody spent tens of thousands of dollars to design this thing. You know who designed it? First of all, Charmin. That should sound familiar because it's a toilet paper company. What in the world are they doing in the robot industry? I will tell you, they're apparently solving the world's problems because this thing is designed to bring you a roll of toilet paper when you run out. <laughs> Somebody spent like a year of their life designing that thing, and I'm reading. I'm like, how would it even know? bluetooth it's bluetooth sensitive that you can inform it that you have run out of toilet paper and it will come to your rescue i'm thinking really like this i feel like that complex machine could maybe like maybe we could reprogram it to a greater cause like it's just going to bring food to somebody who's hungry i think there's better uses for it right here's my deal i think i think we're created for greater purposes than most of us live out i do I think we're created to chase after something bigger than what we chase after and and i think too often we settle for lesser things and lesser purposes we make life about those and i just don't i just don't think that's how it works i think we spend so much time getting stuck in lesser purposes like impressing other people or achieving a status in life or or conquering a task or conquering something in front of us, or, or earning something, or, or owning something, and we make life about these things. And I just don't think that's what we're made for. In Revelation 5, they make this statement, he's worthy to receive power, and wealth, and wisdom, and strength, and honor, and glory, and praise. He's worthy, he's worthy to receive all the things that we run after in life. Do you ever think of how much effort people go to to get power? Is that power is a means to the end of their own satisfaction? How much we try to do to increase our strength, to increase our wealth. In Revelation 5, John's going, it's him. It's about him. It's it's, It's not meant for you. And if he gave you power, he gave it so that you could use it for him. And if he gave you strength, he gave it so you could use it for him. And if you try to make it about you, if you try to make it towards yourself, then, then you're running contrary to, I think, the very nature of how you were created. Because I don't think you were created to receive honor and power and worthy and strength all for yourself. I think it's his. And, and, and so I think a hundred million angels attest to the fact that it's about him. And, and like, here's the deal. I think we are made for this. And I think we so have to get it right, and I can't overstress this. So here, here's, here's what I want you to know. I don't think life will ever be quite right until we get worship right. I don't think life will ever be quite right until we get worship right. I think if you make honor and wealth about yourself, it'll never be quite right. I think if you make life about power, it'll never be quite right. Uh, just yesterday I was with my father-in-law and we were driving through southern Lancaster County and uh, surprise, surprise, we ran into an Amish buggy. We didn't run into an Amish buggy. <laughs> should clarify that. Uh, we, we came behind an Amish buggy and waited for the appropriate time to safely pass it without hitting it. And uh, we noticed that the wheels on the right side were fine, but the wheels on the left side were just wobbling, like, just big time. And he said, well, the, the, the bearings on that are shot. That thing's going to fall apart at any second. It didn't. We di- again, there was no horse and buggy accident. Everybody was safe. Um, but it was just wobbling. It was way off. And you could see it wasn't operating the way that it was supposed to operate. And I think that's what happens when we get worship wrong. It's just not meant to be that way. And, and I don't think things work the way that they're supposed to. I don't think our relationships work. I don't think our careers work. I don't think our hobbies work until we get worship right. When we get worship right, then you can enjoy a hobby because a hobby doesn't have to be everything that it has to be to make you happy. It doesn't have to distract you and fill all your needs. It's just, it's just a little thing to enjoy what God made. You get, all of life can begin to get right if we get worship right. I don't, if we get worship right wrong, I don't think we'll ever be quite as joyful as we should be. I don't think we'll be as lighthearted and quick to forgive as we should be. I think we'll to put too much pressure on stuff, too much pressure on the job, too much pressure on the spouse, too much pressure on whatever it is. I think, I think we'll be disappointed a lot. Because I think every one of us chases after something. And if that something isn't Jesus Christ, if he's not at the center of 100 million angels, if he's not at the center of your life, I don't think it'll be quite right. I, I, I think it'll be wobbling. It'll, it'll never... You'll never quite live up to, it'll never quite live up to what it's meant to be. And so we chase after the pinnacle of a hobby, we chase after the love of another, uh, the enjoyment of our children, the accomplishment of a task. And if we chase after these things as if, as if they're what life is all about, they'll never be able to live up to it. And life will never be quite right because only Jesus is worth the number one spot in our life. If only him, he is worth all of our all of our hunger in life, all of our thirst in life, it's, it's only him. This is why, this is why when you've tried so long and so hard to get something, and you finally get it, it quickly loses its luster. Why? Because you expected far too much out of it. You put it at the center of 100 million angels and it can't live up to that weight. Th- this is why when, when you've waited for things to finally come together and be just right, they're just not. And they just can't live up to that. It's just Because deep down, I think we have a worship problem. And we keep looking for lesser. This is Romans 1, by the way. If you want to read and see in Scripture where I'm getting this stuff. Romans 1, we keep exchanging the worship of God for the lesser things. And it's not that all the lesser things are bad or wrong. It's just that we, we expect far too much out of them. I want, I want us to get this badly. So let's look at it from another angle. Here it is. Um, when you get worship right, Right, so we want to get worship right because if you don't, life will never be quite right. We, w- but if you get right, worship right, when you get it right, you stop doing so many things for the wrong reasons. Stop doing so many things. It can be good things, it can be great things, you stop doing them for the wrong reasons. We we stop doing things just to get people to like us. We stop doing it just to fill a void in, in our life. You don't do things to get even, to get, get advantage over somebody else. Or or just to distract you or pass the time. You, you, you do what you do because Jesus Christ is the center of everything and he guides us and he leads us in that path. They you ask your question, why do you a question, why do you really do what you do in life? Like why do you get up and go to work? Because society tells you to. Why do you, why do you be kind to, to people you pass in the street? Um, why do you not run over Amish buggies? Why do, you, why do you do the things that you do in life? Because what worship does, it, give, it gives a reason. It gives us center that we, we do it because there's a God who loves us, and one day everything will only really be about him. And so Revelation five in this throne room celebration, this ultimate church service, it is this total sobriety to all of life. Because whether or not people were proved wrong by you means absolutely nothing at that point. And the only thing that matters is that Jesus Christ is at the center of it all. And so we parent our kids not so that, that my life's easier. So, so that they don't embarrass me, so, so that they can just get out of the house and not move back in. We parent, we parent our kids so they know Jesus Christ. Why? Because them loving, I don't want them to have a worship problem, right? I know I struggle with a worship problem. I want to lead them to be free of their worship problem. So I don't, I don't want to teach them that safety is more important than following God. I don't want to teach them that popularity is more important than, than loving Him. Or that buying stuff is more important than giving. And so, so it brings us to this place where, where we say, why do I do life? Why do I go to work? We well, don't do your job just to get a pay raise. You do your, your job well because you're representing Jesus Christ and you want to be a good employee. You want to be trustworthy. You want to be reliable. You, you want to help make the world a better place because Jesus Christ is at the center of the world. And it really only gets better if it's about Him. I, I was thinking about this and, and, and this phrase came to mind that, that I just, what worship does is it makes you want to be God's person right where you are. God's right person right where you are. If that's in, if that's in the grocery store, I want to be God's right person right where I am. I want to be God's right person when I'm a stay at home mom. I want to be God's right person right here, right now. I want to be God's right person when I'm standing before my spouse and I'm upset with them and I'm frustrated and I'm going to try to express it in a loving way. Why? Because I want to be God's right person right where I am because that's worship. My admiration for Jesus Christ leads me to change the way that I live out my life. I'm gonna do something different because I love him and I want him to be at the center of not just 100 million angels. I want him to be the center of everything that I do in life. For me, when this clicked, uh, it was really like a light bulb. And I was thinking, how do, how do I convey this to you? When, when really just, it comes, into, it comes into clarity. And have you seen the show, The Masked Singer? Where you got this singer and and they're dressed like head to toe in some sort. I'm not going to actually sing. I'm not standing up to sing. I don't want anybody to leave. Um, You got the singer wearing this costume head to toe. And then you've got a panel of judges. And they're all trying to guess who it is. Guess and guess and guess. Um, And, you know, at the end of the show, they'll reveal one of who the singer is. Everybody goes, wow. Like, you know, it is who I thought it would be or it isn't who I thought it would be. It, It brings a clarity. What I think Revelation 5 does is it brings a clarity to all of your existence. You take it off, wow, it was really about Jesus. And if he's the point of 100 million angels worship, he's the point of my life. He's the reason I do what I do. He's the reason I drive a bus. He's the reason I'm out of the lawn. He's the reason I'm kind to an employee or to a customer that's driving me nuts. He's the reason. It's about him. And Revelation 5 pulls the mask off and it says, everything that you did that was for something other than anything else you put at the center of it all was counterfeit. It was false. It was a false idol. Every bit of approval that you so desperately sought in life to be what you needed in life, every bit of validation that was so important to you could never live up to the expectations and the standards that you set for it because it's not Jesus Christ. And so what he is worthy of then What he's worthy of then in Revelation 5, I think he's worthy of now. And I think the wisest people on earth will figure that out. I think what he's worthy of then, he's worthy of now. And I think the wisest people on earth will figure that out. I I think right now, we gotta go, if he's gonna one day receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise, then right now, any semblance of, uh, of power, any semblance of wealth, any semblance of wisdom and honor and glory and strength, it's his now. It's just for him. It, it goes to him. So, so if it's then, then let it begin now. Let it be true in my life right now. And what I want to do in the next couple of minutes is work through the reality of how it can be true for us as a church corporately. We don't, we don't do that a ton. So I want to focus on two different ways that we can do that um, and two different things in light of, light of Revelation 5 that should change the way that we do church. If we're the mini mountain before the great mountain, this should be true of us. Um, number one, it should be about him, not us. And Number two, it should be about surrender. It should be about him, not us, and it should be about surrender. And So let's fall in line with the ultimate church service. And so what do we mean by that? It's about him, not us. Well, specifically, I want to talk about musical worship because no issue um, has been more sort of, oh man, uh, just distracting than the issue of worship styles and worship songs and, and worship instruments than, than th- I mean, this is, this This is like the the hot button issue for most churches. Um, And so just two things about that. Number one, if it's about him, not us, I should be able to express myself in worship, not worrying about whether the person next to me thinks there's something wrong with me. Because I literally had this moment like four weeks ago where I raised my hand to worship God in a song to just go, God, you're great. I want to just like physically demonstrate what I can't sing very well verbally. So I'm going to raise my hand to you. And then I thought like, I wonder if people are going to think what's wrong with that guy. And then I thought like, no, really they should think what's right with that guy. Because he's not concerned about what anybody else in the room thinks about. And it's not about anybody else in the room. It's about Jesus Christ. And so, so just, I grew up in conservative Lancaster County where if you expressed your emotions, you should do it very quietly and not very often. And, and so there's this idea where we say, you know what, it's not about anybody else in the room. It's about him. That's it. It's about him in worship. Second, second thing is uh, this, this phrase that, that I have for you, that we worship to worship, we don't worship worship. We're going to worship to worship, we don't worship worship. We're going to be a source of grace, not drama. We're going to focus on, on the main thing. We're not going to worship worship, we're going to worship to worship. Now, what I mean by that is we, we, can, we can become so attached to a style, to a song, to, to a, w- a way it was done, or a way that we like, that we can worship worship, and think that's the most important thing. And, and I get it, it's a temptation. I'm gonna have to fight that one day myself um, as, as I age and it's no longer what I want. And here's what I love about this. Like, as I was thinking about this, this topic, I was like, that's not really a huge problem in our church. Is this worth like us spending five minutes to talk about? And, and, and I thought about it and I was like, you know, it's been a big enough problem in enough churches that we probably should. Um, and so I'm treating this not as prescriptive. There's not a problem we're solving right now. This is preventative. This isn't like, go take this medicine and get healthy. This is eat healthy so that we don't have a problem. So like every year, you're gonna hear something along this line, that we don't worship worship, we worship to worship. Um, and so we'll, we're gonna keep moving forward. We think God loves new songs. And so occasionally, we'll throw in an older song. It might have a newer style to it. But we just think God loves new. If you ever really wanna put this in perspective, here's what you do. Go talk to somebody who's a complete, uh, non-practicing, uh, just, just secular person. No, no religious um, you know, thoughts about them. And, and just have a conversation with, with them about the nature of how many people have argued and left in churches over the issue of worship. Because it's pretty, tri- pretty eye-opening to try and explain that to somebody. Um, and a reason that I'm telling you to do that is because I actually just did that. I just kind of walked into it. I was talking with a friend of mine who's upper-level management somewhere, and he wanted to talk to me about some, like how, how do we manage our staff here, and how do they? And he said, like, I mean, what kind of problems do, do pastors even have in churches? And I was like, well, we got worship. And I just said it without thinking, forgetting that he was not like a, a religious person. At all he's like, what, how how could that ever be a problem? And I kind of like walked into it, like, well, now what do I do? And it's like, well, people really like you know. A certain style of music, and he's like, and this is his words, not mine, he's like, I can't believe that's a thing. (laughs) Like, really? I I feel like it's just not even about, like, if God was real, wouldn't it just be about him? Like, you could just solve, like, hundreds of churches' problems right now. Like, maybe you should just go do that. (laughs) But it's really fascinating to think about it from that perspective, isn't it? And I, I get that we like a musical style, and that's fine. But man, it's never been about us. It's always been about him, and we've got to keep that there. We've got to keep that in the forefront of our heart. We're going to keep finding new ways to praise him because worship is about worshiping him. It's not about worshiping us, right? So, so that's the first one. It's about him. Now, the second one, it's about surrender. If he's worthy of it all, he's worthy of it all. If he's worthy of it all, he's worthy of it all. We'll bow before him with absolutely nothing. You know what you're bringing to the Revelation 5 party? You. He probably even gave you the clothes you're wearing. You're not showing up with all the stuff that you earned and you saved and, and, and the house that you bought and all the, 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 all the stuff that we, we're not showing up with that. We're showing up with our heart and our voice. We're praising him. And what I think Revelation 5 does is that I think it puts money and the pursuit of all the things we chase after financially and, and materially, I think it really puts it in perspective. Because we're not showing up with it. We're not showing up with it. Uh, Corinne and I were watching uh, some Dave Ramsey YouTube videos, and he does a good job talking about how, how we should manage our money with wisdom. And, uh, and one of the, the taglines caught my eye, and it said, like, um, 29 years old and a million dollars in debt. I was like, we got to watch this one. This one sounds good. How did they get there? Like, what did they do? And and so, like, you start to hear the story. He always listens to their story. They just, you know, had a bunch of credit card debt, student loan debt. They bought a house. They bought cars. And and Dave, like, you, you watch the. They're just showing him. They're not showing the caller. You just watch the look on his face where he's just like, "What? How? Like, when does it stop?" You know. And and then he, like, he lets him go on for a little bit while. And and he says, "Look, if you want to change this, there's going to be major changes. You're going to hate me. You're going to hate me because I'm going to take away all your fun." I'm gonna take away all your good food. I'm gonna take away all, all the stuff you like. And, and he says, but I, I gotta tell you, if you're gonna, if you're gonna, if you're gonna make these changes, it starts with this. You're buying a lot of stuff because of a lot of junk inside of you. Wow, what a fascinating statement. You're buying a lot of stuff because of a lot of junk inside of you, in your heart. He goes, the math problem here is the the symptom. The real problem is what's going on inside. Why? Because it's a worship problem. And we've chased after stuff as if stuff could be what Jesus is supposed to be. And, and so we worship not the one we made, we worship the stuff he made. And so here, here's where we're going with this. We give as worship, we don't worship what we give. We give as worship. Every time I have a chance that God leads me to give to someone, to somewhere, and I give, I do, I do it not to look better, not to, not to feel better, but I, I give as a worship because it's all God's in the end. And, and so I don't worship what I give. Of all, of all the things we can chase after in life, man, money and materials, it just, it just sucks the life out of us. You know that phrase, life will never be quite right? Man, if you put money at the center of your life, life will never be quite right. It probably won't even get close. I've seen money tear apart more marriages than anything else. If you'd have told me that at the beginning of doing marriage counseling, I'd be like, no way. It's, uh, it's, you know, it's faithfulness to each other, it's um, you know, communication. Man, I, I'm sitting here today, and, I, and 10 years after starting to do it, 13 years after starting to do it, money. Money is number one at destroying marriage. Why? Because money will own your heart quicker than, quicker than anything else. Life will never be quite right. Nick mentioned at the beginning that we moved worship, we moved offering back to the end. So after communion, the, the ushers are gonna come back out and they're gonna pla- pass offering, just so you understand how it's gonna work just solely because we want you to understand it from the perspective of worship. that This is me saying, God, one day everything I have is going to fade away and all I have is you and that's enough. And, and so I'm going to live in light of that. right? Um, so, so I actually, I want to show you a video of one of our missionaries that we support. His name is Mark Lewis. He's with an organization called Reach Global where their job is to go into disaster stricken areas and help just rebuild them and to love them and as an extension of the E-Free Church and just to go out there and, and make some positive changes there. I, mean, I just want you to see what when you give money instead of hoard money, how it can change things. Because th- this, I just think this is cool. So check it out.
1: Good morning, Susquehanna EFC. Mark Lewis checking in with you from Mafambise, Mozambique. Thanks for being a part of sending us to the mission field that follows crisis. There was two giant cyclones that devastated Mozambique in April. We've been engaged here with a number of pastors, helping to cast a vision and and resource them in church planting work. And just behind me is the new church that's just come up out of the ground, literally, uh, in Mofambise, Pastor Joaquin. Uh, has been doing evangelism work here this is a displaced people camp with about 500 families living here no church presence and so pastor Joaquin and and uh, his team have been working here in the last couple of months and um, they now have a, a fledgling congregation and a heart and passion to reach and bring the gospel uh, to these families and um, and the whole surrounding region so please pray for uh, this, uh, this group, Pastor Joaquin, and um, again, thanks for the provision of gifts that have helped to um, sustain the uh, cyclone response and have been part of planting this new church here in Mafambise. Blessings.
0: You know just blew my mind? Seeing some of the kids run around and play like nothing ever happened. And I was struck with this question of if I was a displeased person, could I be happy? Would Jesus be enough for me right now, right then? And if so, if so, then why don't I just live like that now? Why, Why do I need to get everything I want all the time? You'll show up in Revelation 5. You're a follower of Jesus Christ and you place faith in him. You freely gain access to heaven forever through faith in Jesus Christ. That's how, that's how this works. You don't buy your way in. You don't earn your way in. So you show up and you're in Revelation 5. You show up with absolutely nothing. You bow before the king with nothing and he shares with you everything. And at that moment, we're going to praise him like nothing ever mattered except for that. You know why I think our hearts are tired? I think our hearts are tired because we keep jumping from one thing to the next, to the next, to the next. And none of it's meant to be at the center of 100 million angels, and none of it's meant to be the center of my life. And I think our hearts are exhausted because we keep jumping around. Man, let your heart rest in him. Let that be the end of your heart's hope. Aspire for that. Look at, look at how this ends, Revelation 5, verse 13. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said amen and the elders fell down and worshiped. You know what amen means? Amen means just let it be. Let it be true. Let it happen. It's asserting a mood. It's a confidence about it all that this is done. Let it be. Jesus himself says, I am the amen. I'm the end of it all. I'm everything you ever wanted your job to be. I'm everything you ever wanted your spouse to be. I'm everything you ever wanted every accomplishment to be. I'm all the loyalty you ever needed. I'm all the love you ever looked for. I'm it. And it ends with me. And he says amen and they drop down. You talk about the ultimate mic drop. They just fall down and worship. 100 million voices going, it's all about you. You receive it all. As the ushers come forward, I I just want us to reflect on on that concept of he's the only one worthy of your heart. As we take take the, the communion, as we pass that around, I just want you to reflect on that worthiness. Are the things that you run after worthy of your heart? Or is Jesus Christ the only one? Look, let's lay this out. As they pass communion, you don't have to take communion. You don't have to. He's good. This is a chance for you who have a relationship with Jesus Christ to say, He's worth it. What He did, He did.